Welcome to episode 180 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest insight scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started with my first topic. And news broke this week around Talos partnering with Samsung Networks for both LTE and 5G open and virtualized RAN. And I've spoken about Samsung Networks in the past. They are really building a significant beachhead with respect to VRAN. And the company four or five years ago was not even a factor in the RAN market. And so they've really been competing with the likes of Nokia and Ericsson and others. And uh, this is significant. Telesense is a fairly large operator in the Canadian market. They have been going through a rip and replace of Chinese infrastructure. So they've had a lot of Huawei in their network. So they've been removing that. And uh, it's interesting. I, I read this article, it was light reading. Um, it's a pretty aggressive plan. They want to convert 40 to 50% of all of their mobile sites to virtual RAN technology by the end of 2027. So that's a super aggressive timeline. Certainly there are advantages in doing that from just a domesticated supply chain perspective. So continuing to move away from Chinese infrastructure. But this really, from my perspective, demonstrates Samsung's continued momentum and progress when it comes to VRAN. So don't know if you caught the news, but any thoughts? Did not catch the news, um, but it does seem like a natural progression for TELUS. And yeah, if there's a river of place going on, I think Samsung is definitely part of the discussion. It seems like they, they won the deal. So mentioned too, TELUS has a deployed massive MIMO as they embark on their 5G build out and their uh, spectrum profile is in 3.5 gigahertz range. Samsung's going to be able to bring them capabilities of massive MIMO, which basically for our viewers and listeners that are not familiar with massive MIMO, that's an antenna structure that puts density of antennas into a smaller footprint. It's more power efficient and you get much better propagation performance. So they're going to lean on Samsung for that as well. I think it's great for talents. They're competing with Rogers and others in that market. And again, kudos to Samsung. I think that's a great win for them. Let's move to your first topic. And you want to talk about Verizon. And they have basically entered in an agreement with the NHL for private 5G. Yeah, so this is actually a renewal of an agreement that they already had in place. NHL. Okay. But what it does is it adds their the official wireless service provider partner and the official mobile edge computing partner, which I don't think I've ever seen any sports league ever have that's a new one for me i don't know yeah that's a new one too yeah. um they will use verizon to deploy private 5g wireless across nhl arenas which some of which are already in pilot and they don't say which ones they say it will help with game day operations and roll out new trans and transformative solutions to advance the sport and improve overall fan experience basically it's going to be an improved backhaul for a lot of things and they're going to make sure that Verizon will continue to try to deploy and expand 5G ultra wideband across their arenas. And there's a lot of talk about Mac computing here. They keep talking about the power of 5G and Mac to change how fans consume live sports. And that the 5G network is enabling cashless checkout. And that they'll be able to manage, they'll be able to watch live streams. Manage fence and check scores with virtually no lag. This is similar to what they're doing in the, with the NFL. They're really leaning into the sports experience 
and enhancing that to their customers. And it looks like they also will have some activations at MetLife Stadium as part of the 2024 Navy Federal Credit Union NHL Stadium Series. Mouthful. And that will be one of their activations to kick off this re-up of their partnership. The fan activation component is exciting. I visited several venues, including where the Seattle Seahawks play, and that's actually an Extreme Networks deployment. And it's, it's interesting. You can do a lot with one of your favorite things, AR and, and VR, but you mentioned the concession connectivity. And that's huge. And I spent time with Circuit of the Americans because they're in my uh, backyard and right outside of Austin, between Austin and Bastrop, where I'm living now. And they're investing in private networking because it's going to improve coverage and it's going to improve uh, the capabilities of operating concessions. And that's huge, I think, for sporting events. And if you don't have a resilient network, um, there's a real opportunity cost to these venues to uh, not take advantage of uh, the mobility aspects of the point of sale and ordering and that sort of thing. So I think that it's a great example of what Verizon is focused on uh, from enabling sports venues with connectivity. But hey, man, let's go move to my second topic. And I want to talk about T-Mobile. And they're leaning into a new technology called uplink transmit switching to drive some pretty significant improvements and uplink speed on their 5G standalone network. So this is an article that I caught in Fierce Wireless. And what T-Mobile is speaking to is using, um, again, this new feature called uplink transmit switching or ULTX. And they're seeing uplink speeds of up to 345 megabits per second on, again, their 5G standalone network. And T-Mobile is claiming that this is the fastest uplink ever recorded in North America. It is utilizing sub-6 gigahertz spectrum. To no surprise, Qualcomm was involved in this demonstration as well. This is a partnership with Nokia. I think there, there's a, there are a lot of pundits out there that are celebrating. I'm not going to celebrate, but their demise, given AT&T's recent partnership with Ericsson. But... This demonstrates Nokia's capabilities from a RAND perspective, absolutely. And then, again, this test was involved with uh, Qualcomm Snapdragon modem RF system. And uh, they're also using carrier aggregation, and they're using MIMO to get to these speeds. I know you're a gearhead, and you jam on this stuff. What do you, what do you think? Is this significant from your perspective? Yeah, it's a pretty big improvement from that previous record, too. So the point yeah. on the faster, which is huge. I think the one thing to impress upon people is with uplink improvement comes better coverage, better battery yeah. life. The uplink is the weakest link in your phone. And when you have bad signal, your uplink is the one that, that has to be boosted. And that usually ends up costing you battery and radiation. The better your uplink signal, the better your overall signal will be and your better battery life. It's, you'll want a better uplink and this is a good thing to hear. And, it will probably result in a lot better uploads for apps, streaming, all those kinds of applications. So it's a really good thing. And I, I was excited to see this. Yeah, I wasn't familiar with this technology. And T-Mobile is saying that, that it's fairly new. So I'm going to dig into it a little bit further and learn more about it. But hey, let's move to your second topic. And uh, this was big news. I was actually pre-briefed on this. But you want to talk about AT&T and FirstNet. And they're expanding their relationship. Yeah, so I saw this as well, which is why I had it as a topic. Um, I was surprised you didn't choose it as one of your topics. 
I almost like, did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the first net is pretty big because, first of all, AT&T first net are tied at the hip. First net still is on AT&T's network, but it is still a quasi-government agency. And it's mostly, for people who don't know, it's for public service and first, first responders. Yeah. And they plan to spend somewhere around $8 billion to enhance the FirstNet network, which includes uh, a thousand new cell sites and transferring the network from stand from non-standalone to standalone and converting LTE spectrum to 5G. So modernizing the network, enhancing its capabilities as standalone and increasing coverage as well. So it's a pretty big investment. It is $8 billion over 10 years. So it's about 800 million a year, um, but that's still a considerable amount of money for a network that has one purpose. And I, I think consider that they already have 5.5 million connections and support 27,000 public safety agencies. That's a pretty significant network. And a good thing that the 4G network will uh, remain fully operational for people to use as needed. But it does sound like the 5G is going to be where they really focus all their energy. Yeah, in addition to the thousand new sites, there's also a new Converge Core that's being delivered as well. And it's not clear to me in, in the press release and the news that, that kind of rolled out of this, whether they're, and I'm assuming they're leaning into what they're doing with Azure, because we've talked about that in the past. There was a transference of uh, intellectual property as well as man and woman power to from AT&T and Azure as they moved out of their sort of open, and this was like, this was three or four years before the announcement with Ericsson, sort of their open networking initiative. So I'm assuming um, Azure is involved in this just because uh, core, cloud-delivered core gives you significant scalability, but, th but there's also a new core to make this happen as well. So this is super significant. And if you think about the cost of the average cost of deploying 5G from a, just the, the traditional public service perspective, Verizon and AT&T have, have both spent north of $25 billion just on the infrastructure and not the spectrum to make this happen. So for as another phase of FirstNet to, to, to roll out here over the next decade at $8 billion, this is pretty significant. And it's going to do a lot to improve connectivity and resiliency and performance for first responders that relied on a Motorola network for almost a hundred years. It's exciting. And uh, I did share some thoughts on this and some insights on my Twitter handle at WillTownTech if you want to hit that and dive a little bit deeper. But hey, let me go to my third and final topic. And I want to talk about Nokia and Dell teaming up for private cellular networking. Both companies have had a long partnership and Nokia basically has leveraged Dell Power uh, Edge servers for um, a lot of their infrastructure. And so they formalized that agreement and actually Nokia will be transitioning its airframe server customers to Dell PowerEdge servers. So this is an all-in uh, scenario for them. And, but what's more significant is that finally Dell has put a stake in the ground and Nokia will be Dell's preferred enterprise private networking provider. There, there've been a lot of rumors, was Dell gonna do something on their own? Dell is very good at building ecosystems, and um, I'll be spending time with Dennis Hoffman and his team at Mobile World Congress uh, in the coming week, and, and I'll be learning more about this recent announcement, but I think this is great. Nokia is certainly a leader when it comes to private networking, 
And given the relationship between Dell and Nokia that's existed for quite some time, this is just a natural evolution of that partnership. I think this is great for Dell. I think it's great for Nokia. And it's interesting because Hewlett Packard Enterprise, they're building their own private networking capability. They acquired Athenet last year, which provides the core infrastructure. And it's, you would ask the question, hey, why would Nokia consider HPE servers, ProLive servers? And it's because there's that conflict there. So Dell has pretty uniquely positioned itself to continue to, to take some opportunity and market share with servers, with Nokia, and then lean on Nokia to provide that private networking uh, platform. Don't know if you have anything else to add to that before we move to your last topic, but what are your thoughts? Don't really have much to add here other than I think Dell is increasing their relevance in telecom. I think this deal helps them get more credibility in the space because they're still a relatively new player. And I think Nokia probably wants to work with a partner who um, is well regarded, but maybe needs a little bit of um, credibility help in the, in the downcom space. So I think this yeah. is a good partnership, but I would expect that Dell might be partnering with others as well uh, in the telecom space for similar applications. Yeah. It's Dell is definitely an eco, they're building an ecosystem approach to doing all of this. Dell is very also heavily invested in edge. And so I, I expect to see Edge come into the picture as well as Nokia and Dell move forward. But I think this is a win. But for Dell, Dell's gonna they're gonna transition some of this Nokia server opportunity to Dell, and Dell is gonna lean heavily into Nokia for private networking. So I think on the surface it's a solid partnership. But with that, let's go to your third and final topic. And you want to talk about Vodafone's hyper reality hub. And that that screams mixed reality and one of your big lives. So this was announced today. Actually, I lied. It was not announced today. It was announced two days ago. Oh, this is definitely like that. We're, we're already in the pre-MWC era. With, we're two weeks out, basically. And we're already getting MWC now. And to, be, to our audience, we're probably going to be talking about MWC this week in the following week and maybe in the week after that. So there's going to be lots of announcements, lots going on. MWC. Just get ready, fans. Hyper Reality Hub is a product. It is a standalone solution powered by Snapdragon technology that utilizes Vodafone's fast, secure connectivity computing to be shared between the hub, XR glasses, and across the cloud. I was not pre-briefed on this. I don't know anything beyond this press release. I should have reached out to Qualcomm. I was there yesterday. It probably would have yeah. been able to explain to me what the heck this is, but I'm looking at it from the photos and the description. There are two products. There's Hyper Reality Hub and Hyper Reality Hub Plus. It seems the plus variant of this, um, they both, I believe, are like a set-top box kind of situation where all the computing is in the set-top box, and then that's connected to the Vodafone network. And it uses Wi-Fi 7 or Wi-Fi 6, depending on the version, to connect to these AR glasses that are based on Snapdragon AR2 Gen 1, which is a pretty powerful pair of glasses. I actually wore a pair yesterday. Uh, that'll be part of a, an article I write about the MWC coverage. But nevertheless, they it looks like it's a AR experience powered by a remote computing box that you don't have to wear your face or your body at all. And then yeah. if that's not enough compute, then it pulls from the cloud and gets even more render capability in. So you get these tiers of performance and tiers of experience based on 
what's needed and what, what connectivity is available. They also have this thing called a virtual agent named VEDA that's part of this experience, but they don't actually explain what VEDA stands for. But the Wi-Fi 7 is a component of this as well as 5G and that the Hyper-Reality Hub Plus sounds like you can have multiple pairs of glasses compared to one box, but it uses Wi-Fi 7 and 5G that those users together. It's very nebulous. It talks about Snapdragon spaces. It gives no specifications for anything, but it does sound like an AR glass. What's weird is they use the word mixed reality somewhere here. Mm-hmm. But like in that mixed reality, it's very much augmented reality. Oh, um, yeah. And they said some weird stuff like they're all connected by Vodafone's fast, secure, and highly responsive networks and inter- interact intellectual property architecture. What is an intellectual property? <laughs> architecture is intellectual property. Is. Intellectual property goes in the building and architecture. Yeah, that's interesting. I should probably meet with Zadish when I'm in Barcelona. So to your point, they will have this hub for the first time at Vodafone's Welcome Scoop at the MWC. So now I regret not having looked this up earlier because I literally could have asked Falcon what's going on here because I don't know what compute is inside the hub, but I'm going to assume some kind of Snapdragon 800 chip um, yeah. that's driving this as opposed to a smartphone. But yeah, it's really cool. This is the kind of stuff we're going to see a lot more of. There will be a digital health, a telehealth digital twin showcase called Yumi, which is powered by VEDA and AI. It's, it feels like this was not really a very well-written out press release, but it does seem like some of these things are very prototypey. And that's my thoughts on this. It feels like the glasses they're using are, look like the reference design. So this doesn't really feel like a product. This definitely feels more like a concept showing people how they might be able to use it. And then if a customer gets interested, maybe then they ship an actual product. Yeah, no, it sounds to me like a squishy uh, proof of concept to your point. But hey, now I'm intrigued. I, I am going to spend some time with Vodafone. And so I'm going to dig into this big time. But hey, my friend, it's been another great podcast. Why don't you take us home? Totally. We hope our viewers and listeners on this week's topic is interesting. If anyone out there like write insights, for a specific 5G topic for future podcasts, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Real Time Tech and I'm at Anshul Sar. We go, hope you have a great weekend and please tune in next week.